Get ready for a week-long celebration of music, community and fabulous fun with Joy Radiothon 2024. Joy has the largest collection of rainbow podcast content in the world and you can help keep us out loud and proud by donating during Joy Radiothon 2024. Just go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. Mark it in your calendars because Joy Radiothon returns June 1st to 7th. And remember, we all flourish with joy. Taking a look at the issues surrounding the health and well-being of our LGBTIQ plus communities. This is Well, 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 brought to you by the team from Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Here on Well, 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 we delve into the issues impacting and surrounding the health and well-being of our gender, sex and sexually diverse communities. I'm your host, Jack Ranjanan, joined this week at Joy's Victorian Pride Centre Studios on Boonwurrung Country by Michael Whelan. Whelan. Hello. How are you going, matey? Never better. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Because we're here in the big studio this time? We are. We have snuck into the big studio here at Joy. Shh, don't tell anybody. Oh, they, don't, they don't need to know because um, <laughs> we're going to be using this huge panel for a little bit to uh, speak with someone about something very important. What are we talking about this episode? Uh, we are going to be chatting with Professor Martin Holt from the Centre for Social Research in Health, based at UNSW. Mm. Uh, Martin is no stranger to the program. We generally like to invite Martin Holt on every year or so to yep. talk about the most recent findings from the Gay Community Periodic Survey, which happens every year uh, annually here in Melbourne um, and di- at different times throughout the year, based around the big festivals to mm. recruit people to... Tell us about their experiences as gay, bisexual and other queer men, about their sexual health, their drug use um, and their kind of behaviours. Very exciting. Mm. All that uh, and more coming up this episode on Well, Well, Well. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. We are now joined by Martin Holt, a professor at the Centre for Social Research in Health based at UNSW, who studies trends in sexual behaviour and conducts social uh, and behavioural research on HIV, sexual health and the use of biomedical prevention methods such as PrEP or pre-exposure prophylaxis and HIV treatment as prevention. Martin leads the Gay Community Periodic Surveys, large cross-sectional surveys that run across Australia that study the sociosexual life lives of gay, bi, and other men who have sex with men. Martin, welcome back to Well, Well, Well. Great. Um, really good to be with you. It's fantastic to have you on. Um, for those that are a regular listener of uh, Well, 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 we'll know that uh, Martin joins us generally annually to have mm. a bit of a, a bit of a chinwag about the Gay Community Periodic Survey, which is what we are going to be talking about today. Um, Martin, before we get started, tell us a little bit about your role and I, I guess what the Gay Community Periodic Survey is. Yeah, no no worries. Um, So, as you mentioned, I lead HIV prevention research, mainly with gay and bisexual men. Like, gay men in particular remain the most HIV-affected population in Australia, so that's kind of why the program exists. Uh, Although, over time, we've tried to sort of work with and engage other people as well. And the Gay Community Periodic Surveys are very long-running. They sort of predate my time at the university. Uh, They've been running since 1996 in Victoria and New South Wales and then sort of came on stream in a few other states and territories since then. And they're kind of quite unusual internationally. They basically involve us working with community organisations like Thorn Harbour Health and ACON in New South Wales and other uh, partners to go out into the community and recruit gay and bisexual men and other men who have sex with men and ask them to fill in a questionnaire to tell us about their 
basically about their sex lives, their relationship, their use of health services, um, drug use, that kind of thing. Uh, and we that uh, information is used to guide and refine HIV and sexual health programs. So our kind of the main recipients of that information are kind of state governments and community organisations and other researchers. Um, because uh, we tend, in places like Victoria, we tend to do recruitment every year during the big festival periods like midsummer. Um, incredibly reliant on a community organisation partners to get together a team of people to go out at events and venues and approach people and ask them to take part. And we're very um, grateful to the kind of generally positive reception we get from community members who understand that this information, you know, often very private and explicit information that they're giving us um, willingly, uh, that we make use of it and um, they sort of willingly take part each year. And um, yes, we have managed somehow to survive COVID-19 and restrictions. We've had to make some changes uh, to keep the surveys going, but they have kept going. And um, I think one of the main reasons I'm here today is, you know, that we the 2022 results from Melbourne and Victoria were released a few months ago. Um, and we're sort of digesting the changes that have taken place because of COVID-19 and also thinking about what might be happening with um, more recent challenges like monkeypox as mm-hmm. well. Is that enough of an explanation? Oh, absolutely. I, I think so. Um, I, I was going to say, because um, you spoke a little bit about the history of the survey and, and what it's used for, but... I mean, it was only a few months ago, Michael, that I think you and I were speaking about uh, census data and the fact that there was no inclusion of any LGBTQ um, plus, I guess, information or um, data, which, as you said, Martin, kind of helps with rolling out, uh, I guess, health responses. Um, why, why do you think it's so important to have um, like a state by state breakdown um, of, of the gay community um, and and their behaviour and, and how, how to respond to it. Um, why do you think that's so, I guess, critical in, in you know, w- when we have such lacking questions in something like the census? Yeah, well, you can see why, given these arguments about the census recently and the lack of visibility of LGBTQ plus people, that why these kind of surveys... And, we, and I, you know, we should acknowledge that the periodic surveys were kind of pretty much set up during uh, the second decade of, HI- of HIV, with an under at the, and you've got to remember at the time the focus was you know we didn't have biomedical prevention tools like PrEP and uh, we didn't have any knowledge of treatment prevention and in fact H- effective HIV treatments were in their infancy at that point. Um, so the, there was a very large focus at the time on beha- on uh, maintaining behaviour change in the community. And w- what I mean by that is basically condom use and other methods of keeping people and your partners safe. Uh, and because there was a total lack of information, um, community organisations approached my predecessors, uh, researchers, and said we could really do with some information from the community um, to guide what we're doing, to understand what's happening, to work out what's pe- putting people at risk and what's keeping them safe, but also kind of like as an ongoing monitoring tool to see what sh- um, whether programs, education, 
uh, engaging with the community was making any difference in terms of um, what people are doing. You know, are we achieving any positive change? Uh, are there things that are not going so well? Um, and I think there was a really strong sense because I now it wasn't really called this back then, but it, there was a really strong sense of having community input and o- ownership over the data. And you can imagine with something like the census and the ABS people are Australian Bureau of Statistics people are very hard working, but um, you know it's a government mandated agency. It can feel a bit removed from everyday people and. The periodic surveys, the model was very much one of partnership between community organisations saying this is what we need to know and what we think we can ask the community about. Uh, researchers saying this is what's possible <laughs> within the scope of you know a reasonably short survey. Most of the participants argue that the survey is not short enough. Um, and government funders who agreed that this would be really useful to know in terms of monitoring the programmes that they fund and that arrangement has served us really, really well in the HIV sexual health space. I will freely acknowledge that in the broader LGBTQ plus health agenda, the surveys only address a small sliver of things that are of interest to people now. But in terms of guiding HIV sexual health programs, they turned out, we've been incredibly lucky that we've been able to keep them going for over 25 years. You know, the rich... But the richness of being able to look back and see what's changed, what's happened in the most re- in the last ten years, particularly as we've embraced uh, prep and other forms of biomedical prevention, and also in the last few years seeing the disruption caused by COVID nineteen. Mm. You know, we're incredibly fortunate that we can actually do that. And as you mentioned, um, at a national level, in other areas, say so mental health and um, just you know, general practice and so on, um, but also just looking across the country at the whole breadth of the LGBTQ plus populations, particularly trans and gender diverse people, um, we have some real gaps in information there. Mm. But yes, I'm quite lucky in the in my area, in HIV sexual health, that we can generally at least describe, you know, sex relationships health service use quite quite well uh, and over time. I, I guess on that point, I mean, you were talking about uh, the gay community periodic surveys only covering a small part of, you know, like the broader LGBTIQ community. Um, I, I guess, who is it open to and, and why is it, um, I imagine for research reasons, uh, restrictive or focused on those people? Yeah, so uh, this is a good one and we get called on this quite a lot, particularly by, um, you know, and I quite like getting the feedback. Sometimes I don't like the, sometimes I don't like some of the complaints that we get, but it's useful to understand. The name of the survey is an interesting one because it's called the Gay Community Periodic Survey and it's named in the 90s where I suspect that was regarded as somewhat neutral Mm. or inclusive. And I think now um, it's something we're thinking about a lot in terms of does that really capture um, the spirit of the survey's does it imply it's broader than it actually is? And I think maybe that's a fair criticism. But the, in terms of where we get our money from, in terms of doing the surveys, the funding comes from the Australian government um, and from state governments, and its primary purpose is to inform HIV-related programs and, to a lesser extent, sexual health ones. 
Um, the survey's for a long time been open to gay and bisexual men, but it, but, uh, and we've clarified that that includes trans and, um, trans and cisgender, gay and bisexual men. Most of the participants historically have been cisgender, gay and bisexual men. Um, oh, sorry, most of the participants historically have been trans, have been cisgender gay men. Mm. And then we clarified that trans men are men, so if they have sex with men, they're more than welcome to take part. And by men, obviously, uh, if they have sex with men as well, they're eligible to take part. But the problem, I think, um, that we are very aware of is the questionnaire, certainly in the last 10, 15 years, is primarily focused on sex between men. And so, therefore, if you have sex with women or non-binary people, um, if you're a trans man, the forms of sex you have may be broader than the forms of sex that a cis man has. And the questionnaire is a bit restricted because historically it's focused on HIV risk. And the main HIV risk, uh, the main way that HIV is passed on in Australia remains um, anal sex between men, um, as far as we're aware. So the questionnaire tends to focus in on that. Um, what we're actually, we've actually embarked on this year a process of reviewing that because we actually can see that mm, the survey's not great for bi plus participants, you know, who have sex with a range of people, and we actually probably should know about the range of partners. Non-binary people are more visible in our communities now, and it's ambiguous um, about their participation, and we want to clarify that and make it easier to take part, um, particularly if they identify as queer and, and have sex with guys. Um, yeah, so we're sort of um, historically... <clears throat> The bulk of participation has been cis gay guys, um, who are the group who are most affected by HIV in Australia, and that remains the case. And so that's the justification for that. But we don't actually want to exclude people who are relevant and connected um, to the community and who are also concerned about HIV prevention. And so there's a bit of a tricky balancing act there. Like I think sometimes when we go out in the community and when the recruiters go out in the community to engage people, the interaction is relatively brief about explaining what the questionnaire is and people might think, well, this is, given its title, <laughs> you're going to ask me a range of things related to my health and then they realise it's actually quite narrow in scope. Um, and I think that's something we're trying to, we're trying to address a bit more without kind of breaking the continuity, continuity with the past. Mm. Here on Well, 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 you're with Jack and Michael, and we're speaking with Martin Holt, uh, a professor at the Centre for Social Research in Health at UNSW about uh, the Gay Community Periodic Surveys. Stick around, we've got more coming up in just a moment. From HIV to COVID-19, STIs and everything in between, you're listening to Well, Well, Well on Joy and the Community Radio Network. Michael and Jack, back with you here on Well, Well, Well. We are continuing our conversation with Martin Holt, Professor at the Centre for Social Research in Health, uh, based at UNSW. We are talking about the Gay Community Periodic Surveys. Uh, and we were just talking, Martin, about the uh, the naming of the survey, who it's open to. But I just wanted to ask, what kind of surveys are out there for other communities? Obviously, we, uh, particularly in Melbourne, in Victoria, we're seeing kind of a divergent epidemic of HIV mm. amongst, you know, primarily overseas-born men who have sex with men, some heterosexually identified men who have sex with men, um, and obviously not to mention our, you know, women, femme, non-binary um, and trans-inclusive communities. What kind of surveys are out there to capture that information? 
Yeah, that's a good question. So there are some related and overlapping things. Um, the Gage Men's Survey is something that's run by uh, my colleagues in collaboration with Thorn Harbour and other people. That doesn't run quite as often as the periodic, as the Gage Community Periodic Survey, but it's focused on Asian um, Asian born men and Asian gay and bisexual men who've grown up in Australia and is you know very strongly reliant on peer networks to promote that survey in English and languages other than English. That's kind of taken on increased importance as we focused on you know the HIV infections risk, uh, the risk of HIV among overseas born men in particular. Uh, the SWASH surveys that um, that women in femme and uh, non-binary people who interact with that community um, is very long running as well. Again, that doesn't tend to run every year, but um, tends to kind of operate in that in that women's health space in particular. But and has done a good job in embracing um, gender diversity too. Um, and my understanding is that that continues. That's run by my colleagues at um, the University of Sydney in partnership with community organisations. And we've seen um, a bit of a... There have been some COVID-19-related sort of responses, but right now, nobody would be surprised to hear that there are sort of monkeypox-related uh, projects happening. So my team has just done uh, a big national survey, a rapid national survey on monkeypox um, knowledge, attitudes, concern, willingness to get vaccinated among gay and bisexual men. We sort of got in and out very quickly last month and we're in the process of trying to get the results in front of decision makers and we'll be feeding back to community as quickly as we can. And my colleagues at the Kirby Institute, we're working with them. They're doing a... These are just two of the monkeypox projects I'm aware of. Uh, they're trying to do a really big um, national cohort study to follow tens of thousands of people um, to monitor vaccine uptake and uh, and effectiveness to see what difference it makes in preventing monkeypox. Luckily, the cases seem to have dropped a bit locally, but it's still important, I think, to work out how well the vaccinations work. Uh, and that study is called TRAX, T-R-A-X. Um, so if your listeners are out and about and they see calls for participation I'm just flagging that yes, they're looking for they're looking to people who've either been vaccinated or are waiting to get vaccinated against monkeypox to come forward. And um, that's a slightly different study design to the periodics rather than one big hit questionnaire. It's a kind of enrolment questionnaire and then very very brief surveys by phone, you know, like on by text message, like once a week. And asking, Martin, that uh, survey can be accessed, um, accessed uh, like ongoing online. Is that so? You, you mentioned by phone, yeah, but so you enrol online. So it's rec it's recruiting now, and the very snappy um, website is uh, tracksstudy.org.au. That's T R A X S T U D Y dot org dot au, and you can see what the study is about there. But yeah. Um, Yes, if you're in the kind of one of the, the target population for monkeypox vaccination, particularly you've signed up or you've just recently been vaccinated, I think the study investigators, I'm one of them, uh, would appreciate people taking part. And we're assuming that that will run over the next year. But as I said, the main thing, once you're signed up, the main thing is like a very, very brief questionnaire about vaccination, kind of, you know, sexual partners and so on. Um, I think once 
once a week or something like that. Like right. It just appears magically on your phone. You check a few <laughs> things and then carry on. <laughs> and we'll have more information on um, Track Study. It was traxstudy.org.au uh, on the podcast page as well. Um, I, I guess before we get into a little bit of the characteristics of the gay periodic survey um, interstate or you know across multiple states and territories, um, I, I guess let's jump in briefly to some of the, I guess, more interesting Melbourne results. Um, as far as the survey itself goes, were there any changes to questions uh, compared to previous years? And, and what were some of the mo- more interesting findings um, in your view from the survey? Yeah, so I think the main story in this year's results, which were collected during midsummer, is we, the good thing is we kind of got back to a mixture of face-to-face and online recruitment. We, um, so that was good, sort of getting the, the study sample kind of back to where it uh, more normally looks like. But the enduring, uh, the story that we're faced with, and, and that's from the beginning of the year, is more around the lingering effects of COVID-19. So although we've all been living with that, um, with the pandemic for a while now, um, we can still see, because we were still asking in the questionnaire, that people were still saying, look, the amount of sex I'm having, the amount of testing I'm going for, how much I'm using PrEP and so on, everything was still a little bit diminished because of COVID-19. And uh, I think that's kind of generating a question. I think that's understandable. I think people are still going you know, the threat had not completely diminished and probably people's behaviour and also their energy levels were probably still a bit affected by the by COVID. Um, but yeah, we can still see lots of gay and bi guys saying to us, yeah, but, you know, the amount of sex I'm having is not the same as before the pandemic. But we can also, the, the interesting thing, I think, is we can also see that the frequency with which people are going for HIV or STI testing uh, and the, interestingly the way people are taking PrEP has also changed because of COVID. And with PrEP I mean five years ago the vast majority of people taking PrEP would have been taking it every day. And we've actually seen a really big rise in um, the proportion of people taking it on demand. So like the sort of 2 one one dosing strategy around sex, because I think people realised during COVID, you know, if you were having less sex, um, it might not have made that much sense to keep taking PrEP every day. So we have a growing proportion of people who are like, you know, I'll take it as I need it, maybe around the weekend uh, or when I'm busier. Um, yeah, so that that is pretty obvious in, in the results this year. Mm. And were there specific questions that you ask, say, in Melbourne or in Sydney or in Adelaide that that kind of differ across the states? Um, no. So what we try, well, as best we can, uh, the questionnaires are the same uh, in all the states and territories so we can compare across the jurisdictions. Some of the states get a bit frustrated by that. But we kind of go, we think there's more value in being able to look at the same indicators across the country. Um so all of those things I mentioned, COVID, testing, prep, they're all the same um, in every jurisdiction. And it does throw up some interesting comparisons. I think you were kind of interested in whether, you know, how Melbourne and Victoria compare with some of the other states and territories. I would say that, um, yeah, the interesting thing is Melbourne for, uh, and Victoria, for example, is probably the place where prep uptake was quickest. Um 
and I, that's probably not a surprise to people who live there because there's a lot of kind of advocacy and activism around making PrEP available as quickly as possible. Um, and so I think PrEP uptake is probably fastest in Victoria uh, and is probably, yeah, at, at the highest level you would see nationally in Victoria still. So I think, for example, like 40% of uh, negative men who took HIV negative men who took part in the survey at the beginning of this year said they were using PrEP in some form. Most still using it daily, but you know, as I said, this growing proportion using it on demand. Um, and that was slightly higher than in New South Wales, which you'd also expect to have a big cohort of PrEP users. And those levels are probably the highest in the country. So as you move interstate, you, you tend to find slightly lower levels of PrEP use and testing and so on. Um, what else can I say in terms of Victoria that kind of stands out? I suppose, actually, yeah, thinking about COVID, like some of the levels of testing um, in Victoria would have been the highest in the country. And I'd say that they still look re really healthy in terms of, you know, proportions of guys saying they're going for testing and how often they go. But you can really see the effect of COVID, like the frequency of testing in particular um, fell quite noticeably in Victoria. So, and I know that that's something that people are thinking about, which is, you know, how can we encourage um, safe re-engagement with testing services that people feel comfortable with based on their levels of sexual activity without feeling that they're sort of unnecessarily burdening services or putting themselves at risk. Mm. Did the um, speaking of COVID? Did the, um, COVID obviously kind of was a little bit different in different states? Melbourne obviously had quite extensive um, lockdowns. It felt like we had one every other week, um, whereas it wasn't quite the same in other states. Did COVID change the the way the actual survey ran in practicality? Obviously, with not having access to big outdoor or in venue events, um, did the move to going kind of online change any of the responses? Do you think? Yeah, so totally. Um, there was a year um, in Melbourne, and I'm now trying to not remember the wrong year because, like, when they happen all the time. So um, not this year, but last year, 2021, beginning of 2021, as you can imagine. Um, although you may not have been under the harshest restrictions then, like, yeah, Victoria did it pretty tough. And I think in discussion with... Um, Vaughan Harbour and other partners, we agreed that it was too risky to do in-person recruitment. It would have been out of keeping with the, um, with where everybody was at and people's feelings of comfort and safety. So last year, we pretty much did the entire survey online. Uh, 2,000 participants recruited online rather than uh, a mixture of face-to-face -face and online. And that inevitably, you know, that does have effects on the indicators we collect because, um, yeah, when you do a mixture of face-to-face -face and online recruitment, you tend to get a broader range of people and online recruitment is good at some things and not others. Um, so obviously if you recruit on Grindr and places like that, we get lots of sexually active people. That's absolutely fine. That's what the survey is supposed to do. But we also require reliant on Facebook and Instagram uh, recruitment and that is fantastic for geographic reach across the state um, but Facebook for example is kind of an aging platform it's actually quite hard to engage younger people on that Instagram's a little bit better um, we haven't quite breached the TikTok 
barrier yet, but that's probably coming. Um, and because of that, online recruitment tends to recruit a broader age range. We tend to, it tends to go skew younger and older. And we also, going across the state, you tend to get more by-class participants. That's not a bad thing in itself, but it does change the profile uh, uh, year to year. Uh, and so we had to sort of bear that in mind when we were looking at the results that you know the sample profile was not dominated by community-based recruitment like it normally is. And I think sometimes people think, well, why, why are you so reliant on the community-based venue and event-based recruitment? And part of the rationale is not just we want to be out there in the middle of the festival uh, living it up. In fact, I think it's actually pretty hard work for the recruiters during the festival period to approach people. But the rationale is um, we should go where people are congregating, socialising, thinking about sex, potentially meeting their sex partners. We want to engage the most socially and sexually active people because of that rationale of addressing HIV risk uh, and um, people who we want to engage most uh, in sexual health. So, yeah, last year we just made the decision that it was not appropriate or safe to be sending people out to engage, you know, to interact with thousands of people in person like that would have not been a good look. Uh, so we decided not to do that. But yeah, we kind of went back to a mixture face-to-face and online uh, this year. And we're really happy to, like, Thorn Harbour was fantastic with that. Like, we had a team of recruiters at Midsummer, at Carnival, and, um, and then a fairly extensive online advertising regime as well to get a range of people and we're pretty comfortable with that we do have to do some statistical checks and balances just just to you know check that what we're getting in terms of the results have not been too skewed by um the changes in the recruitment method but yeah we can we can take that into account when we're looking at the findings Martin Hull, a professor at uh, the Centre for Social Research in Health at UNSW, speaking about the Gay Community Periodic Surveys. Thank you very much for joining us this episode on Well, Well, Well. No worries. It was great to be with you. You're getting well, well, well with the team from Thorn Harbour Health. And that's it for another episode here on Well, Well, Well. If you've missed part of the show and want to hear more on the Gay Gay Community Periodic Survey and more, uh, you can head to uh, the JOY website, joy.org.au slash well or well. And if you've got any questions or suggestions for us, uh, for topics for us to discuss on the show, Michael, who can they email and where, you know, how do they get in touch? Whoever they like. But if they would well, like us to respond to it. To, for um, us to see it. They, yeah. yeah, if they would like us to see it. Uh, well, well, well at joy.org.au. Send us your suggestions, your comments, your criticisms, your queries, your concerns. Mm, all of the above. All of the above. But keep it positive, because yeah. otherwise, I, I'm here. I'm for- very fragile. <laughs> Please be kind. <laughs> On this, you know, usually, you know, Monday through Sunday. So, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, but that is it for the show this week. Thank you for joining me in studio, Michael. It's been a pleasure. And we'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening to Well, 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 supported by Thorn Harbour Health on Joy and the Community Radio Network. For more LGBTIQ plus health and wellbeing and much more, check out Thorn Harbour on social media at Thorn Harbour or via the website thornharbour.org. This podcast was produced by Joy Media. You can support Joy's diverse sound and diverse community this June by donating to Joy Radiothon 2024. Go to joy.org.au slash radiothon. And remember, we all flourish with joy.